You're listening to the Hoosier State Sports Show with Adam and Joey. Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining us for our first episode of the Hoosier State Sports Show. My name is Joey, and I'm by my friend Adam. Adam, how are you doing? Not doing too bad. How about yourself? Good. So you want to let us know what we're going to cover in this episode? Yeah, so today's episode, we will cover some of the following things. The Colts' head coaching search continues. Should the Pacers trade Miles Turner and Hoosiers and Boilers ball? All right. Adam, since this is our first episode, I feel like we should give everybody a little, of a, a little bit of a backstory about how we met and everything. So for those of you that don't know, Adam and I are now approaching middle-aged men, but we met when we was just freshmen in high school. Yeah, strangely, over half of our lives ago now. Correct me if I'm wrong, Adam, but the way I remember it, he was in the gym playing basketball at school wearing a Colts jersey. I showed up wearing a Colts jersey, and it's only fitting our first ever conversation was about the Colts. Yeah, that that's the way I seem to remember it. Obviously, you know, I know we were both skipping out on eating lunch that day, too. Like, of course, I did every other day, so... We went to the gym, talked, and then I think we pretty much played basketball every day after that for the next three years or so. And that was that was what, 15, 16 years ago? Yeah, it would have been probably the fall of 07 or 08. So it's yeah, crazy. we're going on a long time. Well, even though we've had a friendship rooted in the Colts, we don't always agree, and I'm sure they'll see that before too long. Oh yeah. Hence that's kind of one of the reasons we started this whole thing is yes. Constructively about our differing views on very important things. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'd say 90% of our conversations are talking about sports and 70% of those conversations are us disagreeing. Oh yeah. Especially when it comes to anything that's not the Colts and it relates to <laughs> Indiana based sports. Speaking of, let's get into some Pacers things. What do you got on the Pacers this week, Adam? All right. So as I kind of look at things for the Pacers here tonight, I know the Pacers are going to be facing the Milwaukee Bucks in Milwaukee. Um, Looking at what's coming up ahead, I know that Tyrese Halliburton is still out with his knee and elbow injury. They've discussed, you know, for two weeks, possibly more, depending on how it recovers. I was reading last night that he seems to be on crutches, apparently. So I would take that as definitely he's not coming back in two weeks. I'd say that's a good sign. Yeah, some other things kind of to look at. I know that in addition to Tyrese being out, I know Miles Turner is hurt and questionable to play, but not too sure what will happen there. I hadn't really even known that he was hurt until, you know, just reading about it yesterday. And then Goga, who, you know, is our other center he's been out questionably and there's talks as if he will probably miss another game tonight so should be another interesting game for us and I know that's kind of one of those things that we tend to not agree about so (laughs) in in your mind you know what do you think about how the Pacers will do for their performance tonight first off let me say you guys will be hearing this on Tuesday so this is just us kind of trying to feel our way through it but I don't know. It's, it's going to be really hard, especially if Turner and Goga are both out. You know, Giannis doesn't need much help as it is, but you take your two big shot blockers away, and that pretty much gives him a clear lane. I think it could 
I could get pretty ugly for the Pacers. Not to mention the, you know, the ball distribution from Tyrese Halliburton, you know, leads the league and assists. That's a big loss on that side. So the question becomes, you know, who ends up taking those touches and who ends up being the player that's like, I've got to step up tonight and do this with basically your team's two best leaders out for tonight's performance, most likely. You know, and I will say this. Nobody really expected this young Pacers team to be where they're at this season anyways. So to me, it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me to see those young guys get out there and play their butts off and somehow squeak out a win. But it's going to be tough without those two players. Oh, definitely agree on that. And, you know, that team already needs all the help they can get, especially in away games. The Pacers are an excellent home team, managed to win the majority of those games, but you put them away like many others and that's when you start to see a lot of those struggles. Right. You want to get into some trade rumors with the Pacers? Yeah, absolutely. You've always got Miles Turner, it seems like, annually is, quote-unquote, on the trade block. block. What can you tell me about that and anything other trade-related? So, you know, the last couple of seasons you've heard, you know, oh, he's going to the Charlotte Hornets. You know, they've talked about needing a big man. You've talked, you know, the infamous – Lakers rumors all summer of trading for Russell Westbrook and, you know, you know, going into maybe looking at some other options. Uh, What I hear on that front right now, you know, give or take a little bit, you know, the three leading teams, if for some reason the Pacers were to trade him would be the Clippers, Raptors and Knicks, as all three are known to have at least some level of interest in him. So, you know, on that side of things, you know, my problem is, you know, I think, this has kind of become one of those media driven things where it's like, you know, we want to downplay Turner's value to the rest of the league. So, you know, we can just go ahead and trade him for some scraps and call it a day, you know, in my legitimate opinion, you know, you've known that I'm a Pacers fan for years, but, you know, I believe that Turner really is the glue that holds this team together. I know, you know, it's interesting, you know, about a year ago we traded for, you know, Tyrese Halliburton, we got, you know, to trade DeMontis Sabonis in exchange in that deal. And, you know, a lot of Pacers fans at the time question, you know, why, why keep the guy that doesn't score, the guy that doesn't rebound? You know, DeMontis is top 10 in rebounding, you know, this season in the league and, you know, is still putting up close to 20 points a game. In my mind, you know, you look at that and it's like, what, why does this keep getting discussed? And well, so... And like you mentioned, the media is really big on Miles Turner. For whatever reason, every year it seems like they are. He's going to be traded. He's going to be traded. But earlier this week, even Rick Carlisle himself said he had no desire to trade Turner. Do you put any merit into that? I mean, on my front, you know, Rick Carlisle has been a coach in the NBA for what? Probably going on 20 years or so. You know, he has a lot of credibility to his name. You know, very good. Won a championship with Dallas. Nearly took the Pacers to the finals on several occasions. Um, I look at I look at Rick Carlisle as someone that is trying to have that rapport with the team. You know, you, you think about trading a lot of the older players away the last couple of seasons, and you've got a, one of the youngest, arguably, teams coming into this season. So I would, you know, I would like to put some credibility on that. But, you know, the NBA is a business. And at the end of the day, the team will ultimately do what is in their best interest, which... But- Doing what's in their best interest, whether that be trading someone away or making a trade to bring someone in. I know there's been some rumors surrounding John Collins 
and the Hawks are allowing him to seek trades. Is that is that a move you'd like to see the Pacers potentially make? I would say, you know, pushing the Miles Turner stuff off to the side, you know, for me, as long as you're not trading a center to get a power forward, obviously I'm going to be all right with that. But the name that keeps coming up in Pacers rumors right now is Chris Duarte, one of their shooting guards slash shooting forwards, you know, probably one of the oldest players, you know, on the team. I think he was 23 or so when we drafted and maybe even older than that. And so, you know, you've got a young shooting guard who does pretty good at shooting those threes. I would say, you know, it's comparable, you know, to get someone like John Collins for him. You know, Collins is, you know, averaging about 13 points, almost eight rebounds a game. You know, that's something that the Pacers, I feel that this season have been missing and arguably since last season, since getting rid of DeMontis Sabonis is, you know, someone at that power forward spot that can be that starting, you know, answer for you. You know, I mean, believe me when I say this, I was very high on the Pacers re-signing Jalen Smith, but right now he's still recovering from injury. I know you got Isaiah Jackson, who is an excellent rotational piece in my mind, but if you can get John Collins and the team perceives that he's an upgrade, I think if the Pacers are truly trying to compete this season now, which I believe they are, I think that's a move you try to go ahead and go do. Yeah, and, and going back to this trade, that, that's a move. You know, Halliburton, you said it, Collins, to kind of offset those points and rebounds that you lost and sending out Sabonis, I think that would be a big win for yeah, and, and you do. You need a solid veteran presence on this team. You know, Collins is a 25, 26, 27-year-old player. You know, he's been around this league for several years now. That's something good to add to a team of this caliber. And, you know, if you're a player that is seeking that trade openly and, you know, Atlanta knows that that's the case, you're trying to get anybody that you think can be a good rotational piece I think, you know, Atlanta is a team that, to me, you know, they hired former Pacers coach Nate McMillan. This season, with him under them, they've actually struggled more than they've anticipated. And so, in my mind, I'm trying to build around Trey Young, but get younger pieces to help him, you know, ultimately, hopefully, give that team to a championship. Yes, and on the Pacers, and you mentioned that they're getting close to, you know, being in, in the ability to win now thing I'd like to add to that is the Pacers have a legitimate chance of sustaining a few years of success you know especially with Halliburton this week according to Bob Kravitz came out and pretty much said that he enjoys being on the Pacers um, to quote Halliburton himself Mid- Midwest nice is a real thing the gen- the genuineness of people the way they act I really value people waving as you walk by or smiling that matters to me that small town feel that Midwest feel if you can if you can maintain Halliburton here for a few years, unlike you know some of the stars you've had in the past, like Paul George, Danny Granger, if you get if you get a length of time with him, there's a good chance for this Pacers team to be a a competitor year in and year out. I think you look around at this particular team. You know, you, you keep hearing it in the media. Oh, this Pacers team is special. You know, I I've discussed this in an article and talked about it previously not too long ago. I genuinely think because the team is younger and they are gelling together, they're going to work hard to stay together. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, Halliburton's contract negotiations are going to be easy. Remember, 
The Pacers are a low-budget base team. Herb Simon does not like to really offer long-term contracts, you know, with high numbers, which, again, don't get me started on Herb Simon because, personally, I'd like to see the team, you know, sold to someone who wants to make Indy a bigger market-based team. But, you know, you have Halliburton's extension coming up. You have Miles Turner, who's rumored to be, you know, continuing negotiations with the team. You know, I guess the vision in my mind is you hope you can get those two and then fill in the blanks and the roster as you see fit. But I I hope there's merit to it. You know, as a player, you say it now, but when that money starts being discussed, you know, it can change his whole attitude, you know, to something like, nope, never mind. I see why players like Paul George and, you know, some of the others don't want to be on a small market team like the Indiana Pacers. Yes, exactly. I guess it all comes down to all comes down to exactly how genuine he is when he talks about how much he loves being in the Midwest. Maybe, I don't know. I'm sure that the GM would use that as some kind of leverage to maybe offer him less, but real quick before we move on, do you have any predictions for that Pacers bucks game tonight? Yeah. Um, obviously, you know, you're, you're missing key starters. You're missing key distributions. I'm, I'm going to say that my Milwaukee goes out and wins by 30 points, you know, and I'm 30 points. I, it'll be something like 120 to 90. I, I genuinely, I know that Jalen Hurt, or not Jalen Hurts, sorry, Jalen Smith is coming back from injury still. He's probably still finding his feel under him. You know, you have Halliburton gone. I know Andrew Nabehurd is, you know, doing pretty good at that point guard position. You have McConnell, you know, they run a good pace with the team. I just see the loss of Halliburton and potentially Turner as something that does the team in. And those are pretty big losses. I'm going to be a little bit more generous than you are just because I feel like this Pacers team all season has just come out and played their tails off. I think they could, I think they can keep it close for the majority of the game, but I do have them losing by about 15. All right. You want to get into some college ball? Oh, this is where the people are going to truly find out where we differ in opinions on. So a little bit more of a backstory here. Adam is a proud graduate of IU. I myself am a college dropout, but I've been a Purdue fan for my entire life. So, Adam, if you don't mind, I'll step in first with some Purdue basketball updates, and then I'll let you get in with some IU basketball updates. Good. Let's talk about the better team for a minute. <laughs> it's it's nice to hear you admit that. Um, I'll get so, used to it. <laughs> coming off the last year, a lot of people were unsure how Purdue would fare, especially with Jaden Ivey leaving for the NBA. They even started the season unranked. And then the big weekend at the Phil Knight Legacy Tournament came where they beat Duke and Gonzaga by double digits. And the the media took notice. They soared up the rankings. They even peaked at number one. They've since lost to Rutgers and dropped a couple spots. But I, could, I just kind of wanted to look at how they managed to maintain this competitiveness after leaving Jaden Ivey. So first, obviously, you have to look at the big man down low. National Player of the Year candidate, Zach Eady, averaging 21 points a game, 13 rebounds per game. Um, he took a huge step forward this year, um, and Painter can't say enough about him. He'll tell you all the time about his work ethic, how he improved to where he's at. But it's not just Eady. We've had a couple of freshmen with big impacts this season, too. Fletcher Lawyer, averaging 13 points per game. And I want to take you back to the Ohio State game, Adam. Yeah, Purdue was down two with the ball. I think three seconds on the clock. Do you think Matt Painter draws up a play to get Edie the ball down low to tie the game? 
realistically, I could have understood that. But no, that's not what he did. Instead, he puts all of his faith in freshman Fletcher Lawyer drew up a play to get him a three where he hit the game winner. You can't say enough about a young guy who, who can make those big of plays down when it matters the most. Another freshman making big impacts is Braden Smith. This is a guy that a lot of people kind of slept on during recruiting, and Matt Painter obviously was happy to land him. He's averaging 10 points, five rebounds, and four assists per game, all while barely turning the ball over. When you can get that kind of production out of your point guard, it sets up your entire team well. You know, if you don't mind me stepping in for just a second, that is one thing that, you know, I have to envy Matt Painter as a head basketball coach for. You know, Purdue somehow every year manages to find, you know, the diamond in the rough types of players, the guys that don't really get looked at, and he ends up just making something out of them again and again. You know, it is why Purdue is the model of consistency. You know, you exactly. and I were- we were talking about this a while back, you know, they've averaged almost 20 wins a season for the last 20 years. They've actually outpaced IU in that amount of time. And, you know, obviously, you know, IU's turmoil, but Purdue has been consistent. They've had the same basketball coach and they get it done again and again. They're just yes, missing you, that elusive you, championship. You stole the word right out of my mouth. I was going to say, if I have one word, to explain Matt Painter, it was going to be consistent. Consistently winning, consistently finding that diamond in the rough, and here lately consistently finding the big men that that you need really to compete in the in the physical Big Ten. Absolutely. All right, what do you got on IU, Adam? Uh, the story I could tell. Well, let's kind of start with where IU began at and kind of head now. So to start the season, IU is ranked 15 15- you know, to start in the coaches' polls, the media polls. And, you know, to be honest, that was a bit over, in my opinion, and I'm sure you don't disagree with me. It was kind of like, we're really ranked this high. Like, I think people looked at, you know, Race Johnson returning for his sixth season to the team. You looked at, you know, to everyone's shock, Trace Jackson Davis decided to return after kind of getting rebuffed and called a late second round and maybe even an undrafted player. So I think, he came back and was motivated. You know, you've got excellent recruits in Jalen Hood, you know, so I think the team, you know, people looked at, you know, the high recruiting class, the returning players, and were like, okay, they're going to start off and have a pretty good season. And let's dive a little bit deeper into that. So right now IU is unranked, so they've dropped completely out of the rankings. You know, they've had some losses to some significant teams like Kansas and then some lesser teams like Iowa and Northwestern in the last couple of weeks. So, I will say this about IU right now. Despite those losses, you know, IU is 9-1 and one at Assembly Hall this season. 9-1. and one. They've lost one game all year. And so when you have a team that can win at home, you know, that's only half your games. Start finding a way to win on the road. I'll take the Iowa game. Like, I'm, I'm still irked, even though it's been almost a week or two since that. IU took a 21-point lead almost halfway through the first half. And then very quickly, they squandered it. You know, Iowa's coach, McCafferty, starts getting all frustrated. And it, you know, motivates that team. And, you know, by the end of it, you know, I I said it at the half. I thought IU was going to end up losing that game because Iowa just kept carrying momentum and IU was not doing enough to keep it up. So, 
there's that perspective. So obviously, you know, IU's lost some games that they should have probably won. And realistically, we did get a win against Wisconsin. I'm glad for the team for that. That's a ranked team. They ranked 18th, I believe. But, you know, IU has start has they have to figure it out away. There are two and five away from Assembly Hall this season so far. They've got to get that going. And so kind of looking at, you know, what's contributed to IU season. There's a couple of different things. Number one, your starting point guard, Xavier Johnson, he's out until February with an injury. Race Thompson, it's been updated that he's going to be out likely until February. Uh, you look at, you know, Jalen Hood, you know, our, one of our key freshmen. He's been in and out of injuries. Trace Jackson Davis has been in and out of injuries. So those, you know, contribute overall to the sense of IU is not staying in games. But, you know, you look at, you know, I, I found this statistic and was alarmed. IU's rebounding. They are 111th in the country at 37 rebounds a game. You know, you are considered a big-time program in the Big Ten. You have all the ability to recruit people yet. And again, this is one of those things that Purdue always seems to beat IU at, is recruiting for rebounding and big men. Purdue all day dominates IU with big men. You know, you look at the last 10 years, Purdue has managed to be able to find it. So, obviously, you are dealing with those factors. Again, IU against Wisconsin shot 12% from behind the arc. You cannot go into Big Ten play making 12% of your three-pointers. You know, IU's guys, a lot of them average 30 to 40%. You know, that's fine. You know, that's typical college. You know, you're developing your ability to play. But, you know, you have that issue. The only two players at IU that are averaging above 70% of their free throws are Miller Cobb and Xavier Johnson, which the latter of, may I remind you, is still hurt. So when you have teams and players like we have not making free throws, not making three-pointers, you know, you have the old tradition if you're not rebounding more than the other team, you're probably going to lose. IU has set themselves up for failure. I'd like to throw this in there too, and we can dive into this deeper at a later date. But when you look at Mike Woodson, you've already got people calling for his job. I want to get your take on that. But first, I kind of want to flip it back to Purdue for a minute. Like, out of your own words, consistency. How do you get consistency? You get the right guy to be your coach. He he nails down recruiting. And he just goes out there and consistently gets wins. Like, Matt Painter just passed 400 wins with that win over uh, Penn State the other day. I want to get your thought on Mike Woodson, if you think he's the guy long term, or if you think that there will be another coaching change soon for IU. Well, let me let me throw this out there. IU for years, you know, we're we're still paying off the Archie Miller contract. Tom Crean, we had to buy out. You know, IU has a team that has the resources to do that, but it's like at some point you have to buckle down and kind of decide, you know, enough is enough and you need to let someone have a fair chance. I was never a fan of the Archie Miller hiring, but when I heard that Mike Woodson, you know, an NBA coach who had coached teams fairly successfully, you know, was hired on, you know, it's like, that's the kind of answer we need. This is a guy that knows what it takes to develop players to the NBA. So I will say this much. Trace Jackson Davis was not one of Woodson's recruits, but Woodson has managed to get decent people to come back to this program. IU for a couple years, Archie Miller could not recruit worth anything other than getting Trace Jackson Davis. You had all the players that were striving to leave. But something I'd like you to think about, you know, 
I think we had like six or seven players enter, you know, the transfer transfer portal this season, and we pretty much managed to keep almost everybody of significance on that team. So Woodson, I think, holds the team together. You know, Trace Jackson Davis said it, you know, after, you know, the Northwestern loss. Ultimately, we have failed our coach to this point. We have not played up to our potential. So, you know, I think the players can take so much ownership. But in my mind, you know, and I and I went back and forth about this. I thought about this. It's like, oh, IU's not ranked again. You know, this is Woodson's second season behind the helm. You know, took him to the tournament last year. IU, th- I think, is another, again, a borderline tournament team. So, to me, Archie Miller couldn't do that. He was not getting the team even remotely close. I think the team's hunger exists there. So to give you the long answer, you know, no, I think that he should honestly have a chance to truly develop his own team, you know, because it is, it takes basically what, three to four cycles to get all the players that you personally want the program there. So I would say he, to me, is not on a short leash. Yes, and I'm and sure that IU's officials will agree with me on that. And just to, just to add my two cents here, obviously from the outside looking in, I'm not an IU fan, but I am a Colts fan, and I want to compare IU, being an IU fan to being a Colts fan for this one reason. When it comes to, let's say, tradition, IU fans, much like Colts fans, had a long stretch where they got so accustomed to winning. Win now, win now, win now. Year in and year out, you as a winner. And then all of a sudden, something happens like a Peyton Manning leaving or an Andrew Luck, you know, retiring or a Bob Knight leaving. And then once that year, that annual competitiveness is gone, it becomes very easy for the fans to, you know, be kind of quick to jump to conclusions. And we're going to get into the Colts here in a minute. But again, from the outside looking in, I feel like Pacers, not Pacers, Hoosier fans just need to take a step back, give Woodson a few years, as you said, let him get all of his guys in there, give him a few cycles to get his feet wet, and then make your decision. Yeah, I I completely agree with that. You know, you're looking at a team that, you know, we were not making the tournament before Mike Woodson got there. We were not winning key games, you know. We've still had the rebounding issues, but, you know, when you're at least competitive now, I don't see a reason to fire the guy. You know, something I wish our Colts team could do. Yes. All right, speaking of Colts, we should, might as well just dive in, right? Yep. Okay, also speaking of Colts, speaking of firing coaches, obviously, as we all know by now, Frank Reich was let go in the middle of the season. Jeff Saturday stepped in as interim head coach, but now here we are, the coaching search. So let's – first, let's just – start by taking a look at all the people all the coaches that have been interviewed or have been listed by an official can as an official candidate you ready yep all right so the teams that have are or guys they've already interviewed Aaron Glenn Lions defensive coordinator Glenn played 15 seasons as a player and he's been defensive coordinator this season and this one I kind of understand why some people don't get it. Personally, I didn't get it because the Lions defense statistically was not that good this season. However, over the Lions last six games, they dramatically approved their defense. And in four of those games, they allowed 17 points or fewer. So maybe they, maybe they see something there. Yeah. Next up, you got Shane Steichen, Steichen, (laughs) Eagles offensive coordinator. 
Uh, the Eagles offense this year was fifth in the rushing attack in the NFL, and he's been a big part of Jalen Hurts turning his career in, around. I know you're a big Jalen Hurts fan. Oh, yeah. Then we have Ben Johnson, Lions offensive coordinator. The Lions have had a top 10 passing golf, or passing attack led by quarterback Jared Goff, who Ben Johnson has been a pivotal part in turning his career around, too. We got Raheem Morris, Rams defensive coordinator. Prior, Actually, Raheem Morris has prior head coaching experience in Tampa Bay, where he po- posted a 17-31 and record, and he's been the defensive coordinator for the Rams. And as you know, Adam, the Rams' defense was a big part of their Super Bowl run a year ago. Oh, yeah, with key contributors Aaron Darnold, Jalen Ramsey. They had some good players on yes. that team. One I'm particularly excited about, Eric Bieniemy, offensive coordinator for the Chiefs. He's been he's been a head coaching candidate for years now, it seems like. You know, the Chiefs have that high-flying offense, and he's been part of Patrick Mahomes becoming Patrick Mahomes. I'm going to have you say this next one, Adam, because I have no idea how to pronounce his name. <laughs> All right, so in my mind, I've I've always kind of seen it. Is it Jerio Evero, who's the well, Broncos' defensive coordinator? We're gonna roll with that Evero Nader. The Broncos this season are seventh in yards allowed, tenth in rushing yards allowed, and twelfth in passing yards allowed. And interestingly enough, Evero was offered the interim job at Denver after Nathaniel Hackett was fired, but he politely declined for good and reason. Then, Next, keeping it in-house, Bubba Ventrone, Colts special teams coordinator. Ventrone had a 10-year playing career, and he's been on the staff since 2018. And as you know, Adam, the players love Bubba. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Of of course, it's been well stated that Jeff Saturday will have an opportunity at the job. He was the interim coach after Reich was fired, where he went 1-7 in his eight games as interim coach. And then you think that the – you think that the front office is watching the playoffs this weekend, Adam? Oh, I'm sure they absolutely are. They got to figure out who they're going to hire potentially. Yes, and just I'll go on, into that in a minute. Just on Monday, coming off that wild card weekend, they have requested to interview D'Amico Ryan's 49ers defensive coordinator, Mike Kafka, Giants offensive coordinator, and Wink Martindale, Giants defensive coordinator. Kind of funny, isn't it? Three guys that played a big part in their team getting a win this weekend. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Another one I want to throw out there. Now, these are all rumors. There has not been any official work. There's not been any interview, but it's been swirling Jim Harbaugh. Michigan coach. Yes. All right. So going through this list, Adam, what are you thinking? Well, I'm going to kind of come back to something, you know, that I was reading and hearing about just yesterday. So according to Chris Ballard and the Colts organization, they are willing to wait until almost February to make this hire. So they are absolutely looking at the teams that are still in the playoffs and they're very willing to be patient in regards to all this. So let me let me throw out, you know, where my beliefs currently fall, you know. You you yourself have talked about it. The Colts have an excellent defense. You know, Gus Bradley, you know, we kind of we kind of lost our way towards the end of the year. But, you know, I know that that is still a solid defense with solid players on it. You're going to keep most of your starters in the next. Again, there's that word consistency coming back. 
you know, Bob Ventrone is an excellent special teams coach. You know, he has helped lead the special teams to be one of the better ones in the league. They get a lot of fumble recoveries, you know, touchdown returns. You know, they are very consistent on that side of the field. So, you know, again, ideally I'd be looking for a coach willing to keep those two on the staff. So what that in my mind means, we need to be looking at offensive-based team coordinators, coaches, anything like that. So of those names that you mentioned, you know, right now I'm I'm going to throw a name that I, I'm curious to see what's going to happen. I like Ben Johnson from the Lions as the offensive coordinator. You know, I, I would like him to come in right now and be one of our people that steps in as, as the coach. You know, I said this at the beginning of the year, and, you know, I was wrong. I thought Detroit was a playoff caliber team because of their offense. You know, they had two excellent running backs. You're getting Jamison Williams off of injury heading into next year. So I think Detroit for them. And honestly, any any coach that can take Jared Goff, who in my mind was a bottom-tiered starter and turn him into a top-10 quarterback this season, in my mind, deserves to be a head coach. Oh, yeah. Now, now don't get me wrong. I would like Staken from the Eagles, but one thing I've heard that kind of, and again, this kind of throws me off against, you know, uh, you know, the offensive coordinator for the Chiefs as well, is that, you know, the head coaches on those teams call the plays. Andy Reid calls the plays, and Nick Sirianni calls the plays for this. Yes, but you know, may I interject for just a moment, Adam, to sure. remind you that Frank Reich called the plays here in Indy. Yeah, Sirianni still got a job with Philadelphia, and obviously he's done just fine. Well, again, I will throw Jalen Hurts, you know, credit all day. I, I really, again, I told you I thought he was a first-round caliber quarterback coming out of college. And a lot of teams didn't want to see that. Realistically, I've I've said again, I wish he was the Eagles quarterback we would have traded for two seasons ago instead (laughs) of Carson Wentz, which obviously would have probably cost us about the same. And we'd be sitting going to the playoffs right now. I don't think it would have cost the same. I think I think we would have had to give up a King's ransom for Hertz. Yeah, but then again, maybe that's the reason why they were willing to keep him. Maybe. But Again, in in my mind, you know, taking Jared Goff and making him successful is a very significant thing. So that's one name I want to throw out there. But I have heard that the Panthers are enamored by him, that David Taper really wants to hire, you know, Ben Johnson as their head coach. So mm-hmm. it's, I kind of look through a lot of the players – or not players, the coordinators that the team has interviewed. There is a lot of defensive coordinators on there. That, to me, is almost gravely concerning because of the idea that, yes, Frank Reich was an offensive coach, and he couldn't, you know, keep the team consistently in, which, again, that's not entirely his fault. You had a lot of team turnovers, but a lot of his coaching and decisions towards the end of games cost the team. That all being said, if I'm going defensive to hire someone, I would love to get D'Amico Ryans. Yes. I would, you know, probably try to do a backflip if that was the case, genuinely. But I I think that the Colts truly could realistically try to give Jeff Saturday another run at it. But oh, man. I, I know. I'm not saying that I want that. But you look at the whole idea of, you know, 
the players, from what has been said, also would like to keep him. You know, you were talking about Bubba Ventrone and the players loving him. That same feeling comes out for Saturday from the players, and that's been spoken publicly by players like Michael Pittman Jr. and some of the other leaders on the team. And, you know, Shaquille Leonard as well. That, you know, is a pretty good endorsement in my mind from two of your better players on the team that you want him to stay along. I'm sure I'm sure you'll agree with me when I say this. I love Jeff Saturday as a human. I loved everything he's done for the city of Indianapolis, but it would be a hard pill to swallow as a Colts fan if he was announced as the permanent head coach. But let me let me throw this out here. You know, understanding that perspective, you know, when you fire a coach mid-season like Frank Reich, your team is not playing to win at that point. I don't care what Jeff Saturday said. I don't care what Jim Irsay said. I don't care what Chris Ballard said. You are not playing to win at that point. So you are I, playing to get an early draft pick. That might be where I, I, I disagree with you once again, because everybody is well aware that once it got to a certain part this point this season, the goal became lose, 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 so we can get a better draft pick, correct? However, Absolutely. you cannot tell me that those players with contracts on the line, you know, playing for the name on the front of their jersey as well as the name on the back of their jersey, because at the end of the day, this is a business. They have to they have to put a performance on the field to, you know, earn another contract or be picked up by another team. I, I, I don't think you can use that as an excuse to defend Jeff Saturday. Here's here's what I am gonna use though. Maybe you're right, but you look at Marcus Brady was let go. So you lost an offensive coordinator. Clayton Adams, the tight ends coach, left to go to Stanford, I believe for the same position, which is a big downgrade. You know, obviously you fire Frank Reich. So you're losing coaches in the midst of a season. You know, that's that's difficult. You pass off, you know, you know, play calling to who, again, I can't even think of his name right now, but basically he was like a passing game coordinator. The guy that they made calling the plays had never been put in that position. Basically, in my mind, it sets Jeff Saturday up to fail. I cannot say that it's completely his fault. You know, you know, and obviously, you know, Jeff Saturday's made comments like, if I was to run this team, I would make changes. Yes, you're going to have to. But when you start looking at why the team put Jeff Saturday in that role, I'm sorry. I I just I don't think that you do it with the intention of hiring him for a half season. Now again, okay. I've told you I want Ben John. They're gonna like I'll, you and you mentioned it earlier. They're gonna give him a fair shake. I'll say this and then I'll move on from Jeff Saturday because again, I can't express how much I love the guy. But you mentioned when he said that if he was to be put in charge full time, he'd do this or he'd do that. Correct. Yeah. Let's take it back to his introductory press conference. Do you remember what he said, Adam? He said, I may be no good at this. And at the end of the season, I'll say, God bless you. And I'll see my way out. It kind of did a 180 in my mind. He did no good. I love the dude. He did not do anything to help this, this team win any of the last eight games, which again, as a fan, I'm not complaining because I'm okay with the top five draft pick. But in my mind, if you're willing to sit there at the beginning of, beginning of it and say, if I'm no good, I'll see my way out. And then to do a complete 180 and blame everybody else at the end of the season, I just don't see a reason he needs he de- he deserves a shot at the full time position. I'm sorry. All right, Kent, I need you to clarify. So, 
who exactly did he blame? I, I need to know that. Long story short, he blamed Wright. He said, I came in here and these things were already set in place and they don't work for me, which, yeah, that is the truth. But at the same time, you can't come in at the beginning of it and say, if it doesn't work, I'll see my way out just to do a complete 180. But anyways, would you like to hear who I think that they should pick up? Yeah, I'm good with that. All right. First <laughs> off, you mentioned Ballard is, is kind of, he said he'd be willing to wait till February just so he makes sure he gets this right. And I can't stress enough the importance of getting this right. This season alone, we've seen a couple coaches come in and in their first season as a coach, excel their team beyond expectations. I'm looking at two in particular, Brian DeBall with the Giants and Doug Peterson with the Jaguars. Both teams not only dramatically improved, but they both just picked up a win in in the wild card this weekend. So now that we got that established, I got I got my list out of the people interviewed narrowed down to three people. Number one is Ben Johnson, Lions offensive coordinator. Same reasons you've mentioned. The way he has turned that offense into a prolific passing attack is intriguing to me. We've already got Jonathan Taylor. If we can improve our O line, I cannot I can only imagine how much our whatever quarterback we get, which we'll discuss next week, is just they'll be able to tee off off of these play actions. Yeah. Stacking off. Eric Bieniemy. I know he's been a candidate every year. I don't know why he hasn't been picked up yet. But I think any team would be lucky to pick him up. And my last one of the three, Bubba Ventrone. Like I said earlier, the players love him. Even last season, he had a couple interviews with other teams. I think he's very well deserving of being given a, a head coaching position in the NFL. So in my mind, we agree on basically two of the people. Right. But obviously, at the end of the day, I think we're both in agreement that offensive-based coach probably oversees special teams coach. But something I want you to think about, you know, very random tangent. So, you know, one of my favorite shows is Friday Night Lights, right? Yes. So, when you have, you know, the brother of Tim Riggins come in, Billy Riggins, I had to think of his name for a second. He was a special teams coach for that team. And, you know, watching a coach like that motivate his players to do better. I think Bubba Ventrone gets every ounce of those players' effort on every single special teams, on every special teams play. So that's not one area of the the Colts team this season I would have complained about. Of course, if you go with someone like Bubba Ventrone or one of the defensive coordinators listed, and then the next important thing becomes who do you get as offensive coordinator? But we can save that for another day. I'm sure it'll be very interesting. I, I do predict it's going to be close to February when they make that hire. So I don't think it'll come just yet. But, you know, Jim Mersey manages to surprise us. If we somehow do score an interview with Jim Harbaugh, though, he becomes my number one priority immediately. Absolutely not. But, again... No. Mm-mm. No. Okay. No way. <laughs> All right, Adam. I think it's been a pretty good episode. Should we move on to our verse of the week? Sure. Let's absolutely go ahead and jump right on in. So, for this week, we're looking at Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen, which says, As the iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. You know, we're thinking about MLK season, 
kind of thinking about, you know, the true purpose of, you know, humanity, you know, we need to work as communities, be together with one another, make sure we build each other up and not build each other down. Exactly. All right. Thank you, Adam. Well, everybody, it's been fun. Thanks for joining us for our first episode. And I'm looking forward to seeing you guys all again next week. God bless. Yep. God bless all of you.